0: Good morning. I want you to do me a favor. One, that's really loud. I don't. Maybe it's just me. <clears throat> I want you to take this purple insert out. You have your bulletin. <clears throat> Notice that it says "Recycle at CAC." Now I want you to turn it over. See the backside. Those are your sermon notes. We're going to recycle this morning right off the bat. Um, we have a number of verses. I want to encourage you to just write those verses down, look them up later uh, as you reflect on this morning and what, uh, what God is wanting to say. Uh, today we are going to continue uh, our look or our journey through the Ten Commandments. And for me, it's been an interesting journey. I don't know about you, uh, but uh, many of us no doubt started this series feeling somewhat like the rich man that approached Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, it says, "'As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him "'and fell on his knees before him. "'Good teacher,' he asked. "'What must I do to inherit inherit eternal life?' "'Why do you call me good?' Jesus answered. "'No one is good except God alone. "'You know the commandments. "'Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, "'do not give false testimony, do not defraud, "'honor your mother and father.'" Teacher, declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now maybe you came into this series with that kind of of an attitude, thinking, you know, I've never murdered anyone. I've never stolen. Okay, there was that time when I was 12 on a dare, but surely that doesn't count. And and then as we went through, we we find out that, that remembering the Sabbath was more than hanging out with family and not working, that that we found out that murder was equated with hating or even just simply getting angry with someone, calling them an idiot or a moron. That was actually the Greek word that was used. And we find out that adultery was equated with lust, and suddenly we aren't as confident as we were when this series began, that Jesus has taken all of these commands and seemed to raise the bar with them, that what seemed simple has suddenly become Somewhat complex. And so looking at the eighth commandment, do not steal, I got a little worried. Because there has to be something in there that we're all missing below the surface. And so I began to search. God has to have more in mind than don't take other people's stuff. It's got to be more than that. We have to look deeper. And I remembered that each of these commands is is actually a reflection of God's character. I mean, that's what makes something right or wrong, is how it responds or corresponds with God's character, how it measures up to the nature of God. If If something, if an action reflects the nature of God, if it is in line with the nature of God, then it is a righteous act. If it is something that goes against the nature of God, then it is a wrong sinful act. And so this do not steal has to uh, reflect some character of God. Now from a worldview perspective, God believes that we have the right to own stuff. I mean, think about it. If stealing is wrong, then owning must be right. Because if nobody owns stuff, then stealing isn't even a possibility. Somebody has to own it for it to be stolen. And so God is saying you have every right to own stuff. And no one has a right to take it from you. Individuals, governments, nobody has a right to take your stuff. That reveals a character trait of God that that God, too, owns stuff. He owns the world and everything in it. The definition of stealing is the illegitimate acquisition of property. Getting stuff the wrong way. We need to get it right. We need to get stuff the right way. So truth number one this morning is that we have the right to own stuff. What does Jesus say in John chapter 8? If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and, we, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? The truth sets us free. So the truth that we have the right to own stuff sets us free. And so I want us to look at the commands rather, rather than a list of of hard to-dos, that you must do this or you must not do that, but look at them more as as freedoms that enable us to live life to the fullest, to, to live the way God intended it to be lived, to live life the way he created it to be lived. Along with every command is a freedom, a way to be set free because the truth will set you free. These commands, if adhered to, will set you free. You see, this, this command, do not steal, and the truth behind it that you have the right to own stuff is a freedom from materialism. The need to have more stuff. You know, we think we, we, not only do we have the right to own stuff, but I should have the right to own more stuff and i should work so hard that i can get more stuff no you have the right to own stuff but some have the problem of finding security in their stuff and instead of being free to own stuff they are enslaved by owning stuff because it makes us feel better about ourselves the more stuff we have and that's a wrong concept that's not a nature that's not the nature of god we want bigger stuff. We want better stuff. We want the latest, greatest stuff because it makes me feel better. But that's wrong. Commandment number two says, have no other gods before me. And if we begin to put stuff on that high of a pedestal, it becomes a god. Yes, you can own stuff, but don't ever let the stuff own you. It's, it's a freedom from materialism, and it's also a freedom to trust others. How many of you have ever had your house or property broken into? I have on a couple separate different occasions. I've had wallets come up missing, not misplaced. I mean, busted out my car window, took it off my front seat. I know, idiot, you left it on your front seat. (laughs) But I should have the right to trust people because the very nature of God says do not steal because you have the right to own stuff. And you have the right to acquire that stuff in a proper manner. I should be able to trust you around my stuff. If you loan me something, you can expect me to return it without having to ask for it. By the way, Daryl Shockey, I have your tools. They're in my car. I was going to bring them in this morning, honestly, and I forgot to bring them in. They are in my car. With the window open. I hope they're still there. Truth number two, if I can own stuff and stealing is the wrong way to get it, then there must be a legitimate way to get my stuff. That's when I found these words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Write that down. Paul says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So yes, truth number one, I have the right to own stuff. Truth number two, I have the right to work. And I want to be sensitive this morning, because I know we live in an economy that work is not just right out there for everyone. That there are people, we, I talked to two ladies, uh, moms on, of Michael's, uh, kids on Michael's baseball team, and they said, we have been, we send out, the two of them individually send out 30 applications a week. And their 99 weeks of unemployment are almost up. Do you know how many applications that is? For, for, let's just say they didn't for the first three months. I mean, you're still talking 60-some weeks of 30 applications a week, and they can't find a job. I get that. It's part of the economy, and I want to be sensitive to that this morning. But we have to understand that that Jesus takes the commands and raises the bar in the New Testament. He says, don't murder. The, The command, don't murder. He says, don't be angry. Don't commit adultery. He says, don't look lustfully. Do not steal. He says, get a job. And the nature of God is revealed in the fact that God loves to work. As we learned in the Truth Project that That we were created for work. We were created to create. But our society tends to look at work a little differently. They don't look at work as a gift. They look at it as a curse. I have to go to work. I have to get a job. You know, that's no more apparent than in a teenager. I have to get a job. Why do I have to get a job? Because you do. You've had that conversation with kids if you've got kids at that age or have gone through that age. You need to work. We've been created to work. The world tends to look at work not as a freedom to express who you are but a drudgery to do what you have to do. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Woe is me. With that concept of work, I don't want a job. And that's where we find ourselves many times. The idea of work as a creative expression of who we are is evidenced in the very person of God. The the, the eighth commandment is a direct reflection of the fourth commandment. When he said, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, do you remember what the next line is? Six days you shall work. And now he's saying, don't steal, because if you're stealing, you can go get a job. You need to work because I've created you to create. I've put my very nature. You're created in the image of God, and in the image of God is an incredibly creative nature that loves to work. God worked six days creating the universe, and we're created in the image of God with that same creative nature, but for so many, it goes untapped. There is to be a joy in the process of working. He put man in the middle of his creation. He created the the earth. You've read the the six days of creation. He, He created all the animals, the plant life. He created this incredible garden. He placed man in the middle of it. And then he says, now I want you to take everything that I have created, and with the image of me in you, I want you to create with it. I've given you everything you need. Go, create. You remember he actually said, he put Adam in the middle and he said, work it. Work it. Create from all of my creation. And it was to be a source of joy. Work is good. This command is the freedom to enjoy what you do. And if you don't enjoy what you do, then maybe you're not doing it right. We need to get it right. You need to, to ask God to find ways to enjoy what you're working at. Maybe you need to change careers. I know this is not the time economically to talk about that. But if you're a square peg in a round hole, you're just going to get frustrated and you're going to I-O, owe, I-O, it's off to work, I go, and you're going to hate six days out of the week. It's a freedom to enjoy what we do. It's not TGI Friday. It's not thank God it's Friday. It's thank God it's Monday and I get six more days to create. I get six more days to be creative with my hands, with what I do, with, it, with what God has placed within me. What would your boss think if you showed up to work tomorrow morning with that attitude? He'd think he'd gone nuts. Maybe you do show up with that attitude. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But we should never say, thank God, it's Friday. I can't wait till the weekend. I can't wait till Monday to be able to create again. It is possible to look forward to Monday when you get to start six more days of creating. How? I want you to listen to a girl named Megan as she shares how she makes her job count look up here
1: I grew up on a farm in the middle of Oregon went to school in Seattle and then after that moved to New York with some friends kind of in search of an adventure um, but also for a job in the industry and started working for Ralph Lauren not too long after I got here and slowly um, got to where I wanted to be in design. And I spearhead the conceptual part of the design process and then also get to design garments um, until the very end. So I really am a part of the creative process from start to finish. And so I think that's a really unique part of my job is getting to create and design something beautiful and something Um, that's cohesive and pleasant to the eye. And yeah, I, I do that knowing that it's something that my Creator has instilled in me. I think with any job that we're given, whether we like it or not, is meant to be done well and to the best of our ability and used as worship to our sovereign God who has placed us in that position. And I love to create sketch things and choose colors and patterns and fabrics, and I do get to do that to God's glory, and it is a form of worship. Um, With the design process, you're doing really similar things each season, and I think sometimes I do find myself getting a little bored, um, maybe anxious, and it's in those times that I realize that my job is not just for my enjoyment, but it's really for God's glory. It's meant um, to be done well, and I need to maintain a level of work ethic and a quality of design that I'm proud of. I think the greatest way to worship God in your workplace is by loving those that He's placed around you. And the people around me have been with me for about three years, and so we know each other very well. And we have many conversations about our personal lives. And it's been a really cool opportunity to be a listener, to be a friend, um, to love them, and to have them notice that there's something different about me and the way that i live and the way that i act the way that i work the way that i treat my boss um, one morning specifically a coworker, um, who is a good friend of mine turned around and asked why are you happy all the time and i quickly realized that she wasn't just joking or teasing me but she really wanted an answer and there was a long pause and kind of this moment of like, I can give her a watered down answer or I can really use this as an opportunity to tell her why I'm happy and not just happy, but joyful and live with hope and purpose. And it started many a conversation. She's definitely searching for happiness. And I got to share a lot of my faith with her and it is an ongoing relationship and an ongoing story. And I definitely think that my job is much more than just um, a designer. It's much more than just designing clothes. And I definitely feel called as a missionary in my workplace.
0: Can you take that attitude to work with you? That, that you are much more than a whatever you do. You are much more than that in your workplace. And, and I want to say that if, if we can develop that attitude, if we can allow God to 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 make that image of him as the creator, and he's placed that image in us to create, if we can take that and allow him to, to breathe life into that, we can transform our workplaces. We can change the attitude of those around us to the point of just looking at us, they say, why are you so happy? Let me give you three things that I think will help you have that kind of an attitude just real quickly write these down number one is you need to view work as sacred you see we tend to divide work as sacred and secular and what I do is sacred and what people do in the workplace in the world seems to be secular that's not true for the believer there is no sacred and secular it's all sacred and so we need to look at work at what I do as a sacred call from God that God has placed me given me these talents, these abilities, put me in this workplace, within these people, for a sacred purpose. Megan understood that. She was much more than a designer for Ralph Lauren. She was a missionary for God in that workplace. God gave man the, the ability to work prior to the fall. And he said work is good. It's a gift of God, therefore, it is sacred. The second thing is bring meaning to your work. We can't look at the product that that we're making or producing or or whatever it is that, that our job creates. We can't look at that as meaning. We can't look at the company for meaning in what we do. Our work is meaningful because we work for God and we're on His mission. In this economy, a lot of people have jobs just because they need to put some food on the table. That's right, and maybe you're not in the job that you feel most suited for. This is not the job you really want. Maybe it's not even what you were trained for, but you work as unto the Lord. For such a time as this, you are in your place of employment by God's design. And so TGIM Thank God tomorrow that we get to get up and we get to go into those places and make a difference, make an impact, which is the reason for number three, work with excellence. Colossians chapter three, verse 23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for men. That means our employer gets our best. Because we're giving it to God. We're working for Him. You steal when you don't give your best. You steal from your employer when you just get by. You steal from those around you when you just do the bare minimum to clock out and get out. Wasting time on the job. Not putting in a full day's work. You've heard those before. You understand that is stealing. This command is the freedom from laziness. It's the freedom to get in, to dive in, and to make a difference. Proverbs chapter 18 says, One who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys. If you're just going in to punch a clock, if you're just going in and you're just putting in the bare minimum, you're no different than going in and destroying that environment. Proverbs 24, 30 and 31, I went past the field of a sluggard past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. Ecclesiastes ten eighteen, Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. Proverbs 21. The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. This idea of we have the right to work and that we, we need to look at it as sacred and, and give it meaning and, and do it with excellence leads us right into the third truth. Paul brought it up. He, he brought up an interesting point when he was talking about work, and Proverbs just hit on it again. I don't know if you catch, it, catch what they said, but... Let me reread Ephesians. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Why do we work? Do we work to get more stuff? No. We work. We have the right to work because God has created us to create. And one of the byproducts of working is that we get to own stuff. But truth number three says that I have the right to give my stuff away. Why do I have the right to give my stuff away? Because I own it. Because I have worked for it. I don't have the right to hoard it. I don't have the right to use it only for myself and my family. This Paul says, so that you may share with those in need. That's why I work. The command, do not steal, reveals the character of God as one of giving so that you may have something to share. From within our creative work, we generate wealth that has the potential to meet physical needs of ourselves and other people. Why do we work? Why do you get up on Monday morning and go to work so I don't have to steal because I want to be useful so that I can make money and have something to share with those in need? Do you you say that to yourself? Do you understand that your job that God has provided for you is is the ability to accumulate wealth, maybe not the most wealth, but to accumulate wealth so that you can own stuff so that you can share that stuff with others who are in need. We don't have to look very far in our, in our economic times right now to see there are a lot of people in need. There are a lot of people who, who would love to work. They would trade with you your job. People don't need to steal because we are to freely share what we have. We make money in order to help others. It's a novel concept in today's Me First Society. God's plan for work and wealth was to allow people the ability to make and share. Not forced sharing. Not taking from you to give to someone Okay, we've, we might be headed in that direction. We hear about that kind of thing. That, that everyone works, but we take and then we give? No. In fact, this whole, this whole idea of, of a welfare system was never intended for the government to run. God says it's for the church to run. It's for the church to, to bring in and give so that they, have, they, can, they can take and, and help the poor. Help the poor find jobs so that they can work and so that they can get that sense of of self-worth, so that they can get that sense of, of the creator, the image of God within them. A willingness to share. God has the expectation that his people will be a source of welfare to those in need. It is out of our work out of my work, out of my stuff that I've worked for and I've earned and I have the right to, but I also have the right to give it. And God has an expectation that I will do that. If you've been given more than you need, not what you want, we own the stuff, the stuff doesn't own us. It is so that you can help someone else in need, so that you can look around and, and help someone else put food on the table. Help someone else put clothes on their back, a roof over their head, so that you can make sure that people are taken care of. God has enabled you to make wealth to share with others. You can almost read that as an expectation that God has on us. He's been generous to you so that you can be generous to others. He gave us a beautiful illustration of how this works in Acts chapter 4 with the, very first, with the first church. He said all the believers were one in heart and mind. We always joke that that hasn't happened since Acts chapter 4, that we were of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Okay, they were, they were his own, but I don't claim them as mine. I have the right to own, I own, but I don't claim them as my own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. There were no needy people among them. Because the church understood, do not steal. You have the right to stuff. You have the right to work. You have the right to share. And there were no needy people among them. From time to time, God has, God has, has made this practice very clear in the Old Testament as well. Turn to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. This whole idea of bringing in from from accumulated wealth, worked for wealth, to bring it into the storehouse or to bring it into the church so that it could be distributed to those that are in need. This is what God says in Malachi chapter 3, starting with verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob from God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruits, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God says, bring the whole tithe. And that tithe was 10%. Whatever your crops brought in, 10% went right into the storehouse, right into the temple, right into the church, if we look at it in today's language. So whatever our wealth, whatever our work, our ability to create has accumulated in the the way of wealth, in the way of money, 10% goes right back into the church, right back into the storehouse. Now God speaks of tithes and offerings. Why? Because he He always raises the bar. It's not just the bare minimum. God says there's tithes and there are offerings. Offering means over and above 10%. That if God has really blessed you this year, if God has really blessed you in your ability to work, in your ability to create wealth, in your ability to to own stuff, then God says in proportion to that ability that you have comes a greater responsibility through tithes and offerings. Bring 10% into the church, and then your offerings are over and above that. The New Testament talks about a cheerful giver, a generous giver, that each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give in proportion to how God has blessed them. With an attitude of cheerfulness and generosity. You know, the church takes a bad rap that all we ever talk about is money. You know what? That's about all Jesus ever talked about. Because he knew that if we don't get this right, and we begin to allow our stuff to own us, we're in trouble. And so he says, you've got to develop an attitude of generosity, an attitude of giving. I can't imagine that in any way that 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 generosity and giving is less than 10% because Jesus always raised the bar, he never lowered it. Even in hard economic times, remember the widow's might? Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. This is an incredible story. An incredible story of personal sharing with those in need. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now this is the same idea of Malachi, the storehouse, bring the tithes and the offerings into the storehouse. This is what Jesus is witnessing, these people coming into the storehouse. Many rich rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins. Uh, which really amounted to next to nothing. Worthy only of a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All that she had to live on. I've heard people say, I can't afford to tithe. I've heard that. I don't believe it. You can't afford not to. Because giving is not about the church needs your money. Giving is about you need to give it. Because it's it's between you and God, not between you and the church, not between you and the storehouse. And this lady understood that. That for some it was easy to give. The rich just came in and they dumped loads of money in. This lady, out of generosity, out of a love for others more than herself, out of sacrifice, put in everything she had because she knew she could trust God to provide. Her giving was not measured against other people's giving. Do not steal is not about the church doing okay financially. It's about you personally giving as God has instructed you to give. It's about you being faithful to what God has placed within you. It's about you understanding and listening and hearing the the direction of the Holy Spirit to share your stuff. Giving is not a church-wide discipline. It is a personal discipline. When Jesus talked about the widow giving, he was addressing individuals. I'm convinced that the church will always have enough money to accomplish what God is calling us to do. If God is in it, then the finances are behind it. Look around you. You're sitting in one of the greatest illustrations of that fact. So, this is not so much about the church doing well financially, which we are, by the way, but it's about your personal discipline of sharing with others who are in need. It's about your discipline of giving and not robbing God. Whatever your giving habit is, reflect on what God would ask of you. Do not steal. You have the right to own stuff. You have the right to work. More importantly, to creatively work. And you have the right to give. More importantly, cheerfully and generously give. What would God have you do with your life in your workplace? Let's pray. Father, thank you. For your commands, they are not burdensome. But, Father, that they reflect your very nature. So, Father, create within us that ability to create, that desire to create. Lord, that, that we, would, we would look forward to serving you in our workplaces. Father, help us to make it sacred, to, to, give, a, to, to give it our all, that, that we're working as unto you. Father, throughout the, the rest of this day, for those that need a little change of attitude looking into tomorrow. And that goes for students going into school, summer jobs. Father, that, that we would take you with us. and we would share your love and your joy with those around us. And Father, may we my, might we be able to accumulate a little we would share with others, that as needs arise, we would sell something off or or write a check or, or, or give money or provide a meal to those that are in need. Father, may we be sensitive to how your Holy Spirit is leading us, that we would never be accused of stealing. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: excellent stuff excellent stuff been asked to make two quick announcements for our children of youth ministries this morning right after the service down in the youth center there's an informational meeting for all parents from fifth grade to 12th grade all parents from fifth grade to 12th grade down the youth center about ten fifteen this morning we're going to talk to you about summer ministries what god's doing summer events uh some of the uh, ministry concepts that they're looking at for the summer so i encourage you if you're a, a parent of one of those students in 5th to 12th grade, head down to the youth center. Pastor Bill's got some great stuff to share with you about some events taking place this summer and some concepts they want to embrace and want you to be excited about as well. This Wednesday night at 6.30, VBS is coming up at the end of June. This Wednesday night at 6.30, everybody that's involved and those who aren't can come and be a part of that VBS staff meeting this Wednesday night at 6.30. We're looking forward to a great day and we trust you are as well and I hope you enjoy tomorrow to the absolute fullest based on what you've heard this morning. Next Sunday morning we continue our series in the 10 commandments on truth and what this nation was founded on on Memorial Day. God bless you. Have a great great day.